Okay, and we're back with Star Trek The Original Series, Amok Time. And we've got Mr. Eric, Mr. Rob, and Mr. Lee. Hello. So, Amok Time, uh, welcome to Season 2. This was obviously the first one shown, although I gather it was produced quite a bit later. And a couple of things notable about this one, um, like we all know it pretty well, Spock mating ritual, getting it on episode, um, salmon spawn, and all that fun stuff. It's um, it's the it, it's the your first time you see Chekhov. He he magically appears, and I'm sure people maybe at the time were wondering who's this guy because they don't introduce him at all, which is interesting. He 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 just shows up. It's it's a lot of fun to see him, and I think a great move to put somebody interesting next to Sulu and the. Uh, I don't think I need to say too much about how good this episode is. It's it, it's a great Spock episode. Nimoy is just pulling out all the stops. It has some great character acting in it from the woman who plays T'Pau. I thought it, she she was she. I've always liked her performance in this. She's got these great uh, facial gestures she makes and the the thick accents and everything. I just love. Um, there's the famous fight. Uh, it's it's a lot of fun. It, it's a good character episode, and I'm going to toss it on over to Rob and uh, get get his opening thoughts on it. Okay. This is a great episode. Uh, shows us something new about Spock's character that we didn't know before, and also shows uh, tension between Kirk and Spock, where Spock will, isn't willing to, to let Kirk uh, into his innermost sanctum uh, of his personal life. Um, and he's forced to do it. So there's some great scenes between Kirk and Spock. It's just, and then the scenes down on the planet are still, despite the cheesy out costumes, and are still, I think, pretty effective. The only thing that I strikes me as a little odd in watching this again is Spock's decision to invite Kirk and McCoy down to the planet's surface with him, which it just seems strange given that this is uh, the the onset of the mating season for Vulcans, and he's presumably going to go and get it on with his wife uh why does he need to have kirk and spock i mean uh, kirk and mccoy there with him you don't want to know <laughs> i don't want to know <laughs> well i mean that's actually explained in the episode though rob because he says they kirk asks him if it's allowed and he says that it's his right to have his spock says it's his right to have um his closest friends with him i think it's kind of like uh you know Special the best party. man well <laughs> no having your best man and um groomsman at your at your wedding it's the same kind of concept i mean and it's not like that like they have a little love nest right there in the the combat area where they go and get it on immediately i, th- I think they get it on in the giant pit of hot coals yeah there you go <laughs> <laughs> um okay uh eric what, you want to give me a quick summary there sure um i hadn't seen this episode in quite a while uh and i was actually um i, I knew i liked it i didn't remember how much I liked it. It's it's really one of the standout episodes of the the series. It's um it's it's very well written, very well acted. Uh it's it's a great Spock episode, but more than that, it is the first real uh episode that deepens our understanding of Vulcans and the, their society, their culture and all of that. Uh it's just a just a great episode. Lee, what do you got? Uh, you know, I appreciated uh, the shame and eroticism of the episode. 
I, mean, I thought it was very dramatic how Spock is basically forced to do this this very unwilling sort of emotional and and sexual strip tease in front of Kirk and everyone else. You know, as he's slowly forced to discuss this and and let them more and more in on what's really happening, which to him is very shameful and very private. And uh, so I thought that was very interesting, very dramatic, and I really enjoyed that aspect of the episode. And I also kind of like the implication that, you know, the flip side of this uh, this Vulcan self-control and logic is this this ravenous, uncontrollable sensuality that is, you know, on the verge of bursting out of, you know, its pants, so to speak. And so that's just a fun thought about Spock, this controlled scientific person is holding on with all his strength to, you know, avoid having a, a volcanic eruption. Hmm. <laughs> Interesting. Um, I one of, A couple of things that stuck out to me with, first of all, at the beginning of the episode where they're, uh, you know, trying to figure out what's wrong with Spock and all that, it, and Spock asks for his leave of absence <laughs> and points out that he has plenty of vacation time or whatever they're calling it, and uh, Kirk's really prying into it, and it's like, isn't this kind of an HR thing here? But uh, you know, <laughs> it's like, it's kind of, you kind of feel it's definitely a modern sensibility to it. But you you think you think, God, they're really being assholes here. <laughs> they're not wanting to yeah, just let him take his break or give him a shuttle or something like that and let him go. I think I think he he could file, be filing grievances with. Uh, Starfleet over this, <laughs> or you, or you think that Vulcans? You think that Vulcans would have designed some sort of a complex pornography interface where, you know, Vulcans who were trapped away from home at these times could have some sort of physical and sexual release? Yeah, you know, like some like some sort of a robotic uh, love machine. I, I also love the the little speaking of that is the uh, the the one Kirk and Spock are talking about about all this and. Spock's, I think the line is, and they're like, the birds and the bees are not Vulcans. Those <laughs> <laughs> are great lines. Yeah, it's it's really really fun that way, and and, and obviously the 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 huge payoff there is, you know, when he spins Shatner around and goes, Jim. That's 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 always been. You feel the this, love. Oh, it, it it it's just flowing. Um, the other the other scene that that I had forgotten about was the the bit where. Uh, you know, Nurse Chapel just walks into his quarters while he's sleeping. Yeah, <laughs> you you remember that one, and uh, you know, just kind of yeah. st- hovers over him and kind of stalking him and things like that. And Spock wakes up, and you know, you almost think he's going to get it on with her. You know, it's like we shouldn't des- deny our natures and all that kind of thing. It's that that that's really interesting. <laughs> Maybe there was uh, another scene that they thought about writing. <laughs> yeah, it's good that he controls it. Oh, absolutely! No, it it makes it makes it. But a lot he's of fun. fighting. He's fighting hard. Yeah, yeah. In in both senses of the term, hard. And speaking of modern sensibilities, the the way that that it, and this is obviously a a pattern through the the whole original canon of you know Vulcan society of ha- having these these implied crude cultural aspects like you know they they can they talk about women being property and all that kind of thing and. Yeah, it's, it, it's interesting that uh, that that's well, treated more, like it's that. More, it's, more, it's more than crude, right? Because in yeah. the history of the Vulcan, in the history of of the Vulcans, isn't it that they were actually extremely barbaric people? 
Right, and and the way that's uh, way Cannon describes that is that prior to Surak, which <laughs> interestingly, yeah, he came on the scene uh, about the same time that Jesus supposedly did here on Earth, um, mm. but um, that they were extremely warlike. That their their battles, their internecine battles, uh, just about destroyed the the entire race. Right. Until Serac came around and preached the philosophy of logic and controlling emotions and such as that in order to uh, save the Vulcan culture from itself. But but they also apparently kept some of it. Well, I mean, in their traditions and such. I mean, their I mean, it's also a highly traditional culture, and um, the the whole basis of the Ponfar is that their traditional way of betrothing children together is that um, you have you whoever is chosen they their first mind meld is with this person and it's such right. an intense experience you know it's likened to a you know sexual experience I kind of I kind of have to, to think that and this I might be reaching a little bit on this but the fact that um, if you look at the, the 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 arranged marriage aspect and the um, oh uh, Tapao being brought in on this, uh, you know, Chinese-looking imperial chair and all this other stuff. Little little hints, and that I have to wonder if maybe maybe there is this pseudo-colonial foreign culture attitude being uh, imposed on on the Vulcans in this story. And it's and it's obviously more than that, but you know, there, it seemed a little bit like that, and like oh, they they really are kind of these barbaric Vulcans. They're they're not, they're not perfect. <laughs> You know, I, again, I might I might be totally out on a limb on that, but it's uh, a, just a few little little things that made me wonder about that. You know, I kind of read I kind of read that stuff as, you know, that they they retain a lot of the forms that they had before, and a lot of the traditions. And obviously, that's in the language of their ceremony. Yeah, you know, but it's been, you know, it's been transformed in in, in most respects. Apparently, not all. I guess with the, right. When it comes to the sexual aspect, uh-huh. uh, violence violence is still perfectly acceptable. Yeah, they, they keep the weapons polished up and everything. Well, you know, the way that's explain, explained in the episode, though, I, um, I can't remember. I, I don't think it's actually explained in the episode, but I was uh, reading some... I can't remember exactly where it was. But the idea is that it's... It, the You know, the challenge is is almost never done that it's all uh it, it's supposed to be just ritual for the sake of ritual but right you know in the off chance that somebody actually wants to do it they make sure that you know they they follow their tradition they they, they also it seemed to imply that vulcan hasn't discovered no fault divorce <laughs> <laughs> so we 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 americans have something on them after all <laughs> yeah his his wife has to go through great just, just to shack up with with Stan. Yeah, just to. Although she is Stan. trying to get, Stan, she is trying to get his land, so she's after, I guess, more than just your uh, typical. Uh, again, that's that's that very traditional. Uh, like, like the, he, she even says, "I'll have your property and all that stuff, and I'll still be getting it on with Stan." <laughs> yeah, she was quite a schemer. Oh, oh, she's brilliant. I, I, I've never, you know, followed. I, I love it. And Spock, Spock just sits and goes, "Yep, can't beat that." <laughs> <laughs> that's that's fantastic. Did any of you watch the uh, enhanced version of this episode? I've seen it. I did. What did you think of the little fancy CG landscapes they stuck in there? 
I thought it looked really good. It, the, that part, I did too. Me? No, I I, I, like, I liked them. I thought it was seamless. I was just like, that looks great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and they they do they didn't re- re- really take anything out that was very important, if I remember correctly. And it was very no. brief. I mean, it wasn't. Yeah. Well, they it was just enough to. It was just enough to establish that sense of that larger space, and also it just worked because it seemed to work really well with the set they actually had, which was actually very good. Yeah. You know, yeah. No, I like that. With. I thought the set, you know, from the actual episode looked really good. And, and, and it I, has this, this, this open red air beyond the, the pillars. And so you could easily imagine it being on this kind of huge plateau with cliffs all around. So. No, I, I think it was one of the more successful uses of that, actually. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I, it, it actually it actually added to it. It didn't just, like, cover up something embarrassing. It, yeah, exactly. I, I, I also have to wonder that. Is it would it be normal in this kind of ceremony for uh, none of uh, worst box family? Yeah, that was one. That's kind of that, odd, isn't it? Yeah, and I, I can't remember. I read an explanation for that somewhere, but oh, I'm sure is there is. But <laughs> very strange that um, neither of their family members, or presumably neither of their family members, are there. Um, I mean, this is the equivalent of a wedding, so right, pretty big yeah. deal. Yeah, but as a as a practical storytelling filming the episode issue, it's pretty I, obvious why yeah. it wasn't. And they had time limits and yeah, they obviously did. And and you could probably argue that funny, oh, they were issues. they they were just extras sitting around watching or something like that, or they're yeah, yeah. or, or they're in a skybox somewhere. <laughs> and you know the other thing is that um, if you were going to uh, if they were going to involve Sarah and Amanda, they would have. Journey to Babel would have had to take place before this episode to be able to do that plausibly, because they couldn't have dealt with the content of this story, this episode, mm-hmm. and uh, all of the back history and everything with his parents. I mean, that that would have been too much to deal with. It's obviously a very practical consideration. Yeah. Right. And, of course, there is some new musical themes introduced in this episode. Um, the the, the the fight sequence has uh, some new music and the little Spock uh, disturbed Spock theme that <laughs> whatever it's called just wonderful the, the bass riff yeah can you can you do that for us John do 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 oh yeah do 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 that's fantastic yeah, yeah it, that's awesome it, it's and I think, really fun and I think that this was the first time that that uh, iconic fight uh, cue had been used. Yep. yep, which was used to great effect in The Cable Guy. Yeah. <laughs> and many other satires. It's become a cliche now, but... It is a cliche, but it it's great. Great music on that one. And uh, I, I just love the thick accent that the woman playing T'Pau uses. Yeah, her, um, interestingly... She's um, fun. Uh, her name, uh, the actress, is Celia Lovsky. And I was just uh, looking at um, uh, her bio. Uh, she actually was uh, um, Austrian, oh. and and, uh, and uh, she um, she was seventy years old when uh, she played this role. And interestingly, uh, I, I remember I was watching uh, back some time ago. I watched Soylent Green, and she actually is in that movie too. It's no a way. Small, yeah. If you go back and watch it, um, there's a scene where... Uh, I'll take Heston's your word for it. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. You don't want to have to watch any more Charlton Heston than you have to. But, but is she people? Is she people? 
<laughs> she was yeah. pretty on the fault. <laughs> yeah, that's my bit of nerdy trivia. Oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, she was great though. She was great. She she was like an alien from another country. Yeah. Instead of the, instead of the American aliens we're normally right. stuck with. No, a very great great little character performance yeah. there. And, and 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 bless her and God bless her for taking it so seriously. Yeah. Yep. I mean, she like really acts. <laughs> well, you know, like um, several other. Uh, well, I think her and even more notably uh, Mark Leonard really uh, given that Nimoy basically invented uh, the whole persona of Vulcans and. I mean, he didn't create the backstory and the you know the the race, but um, he really uh, he really pioneered how they should look and act and behave and everything. And uh, actors like uh, Celia Lovsky and, like I said, more so Mark Leonard, really uh, just I mean picked that up and and ran with it and just I mean did a superb job of following that pattern, but creating interesting characters at the same time. That's really interesting. It also supports my Nimoy greatest Star Trek actor thesis. Oh yeah, I don't. I, I would definitely agree that yeah. among the original cast, he was the best actor. I mean, there, there's no Shatner, but I, in I'm absolute terms, I think you're right. I'm a Shatnerian. I, I still love Shatner. You know, it's but he's kind of his own species of actor. Well, nobody else could have. I mean, he he definitely um, he definitely made the character and uh, gave the the series the original series a lot of its. Uh, well, not to be modeling, but you know, a lot of it's heart and soul. He really I, he nailed yeah, that it's, character. It's it's amazing. It's like uh, you know, every now and then, uh, you know, kind of a bad to mediocre actor can actually do more and bring more to a role than a great actor would have. Yeah, you know, they can bring kind of a quirkiness or a campiness or some unique quality that is uh-huh. can end up being very endearing. And I don't. It must happen very, very rarely, but it definitely happened. Oh, I think so. It definitely happened with Shatner. Uh, one thing, oh, back back to the, uh, real quick, the uh, the whole Vul- the Vulcan backstory business is that reminded me of the movie, the new movie actually, is how there, uh, e- even in, there's a little bit of that, um, you know, mixed blood bigotry on display, you know, he, you know, Tapao mm-hmm. kind of calls Spock out. He's like, are you human? Or are you Vulcan? You know, you half breed. Yes. <laughs> Which, you know, I, I know, I know obviously was, was emphasized greatly in the film, but uh, it, it, interesting to just see that little bit put in this episode. Yeah, it was. Well, as we will later talk about in journey to Babel, uh, that was something that, and, and we've seen signs of it before, but um, you know, that's something that has, that plagues obviously has plagued Spock his entire life. Um, I don't even maybe later in the it, it's later <laughs> actually probably in Star Trek Two where he finally comes to grips with that or has you know it's evident that he has come to grips with it. Of course, you could also I think argue that uh, little bits like that and and parts of the film are, are go a long way toward painting a fairly uh, unf- unflattering view of Vulcan society that the, the the way they treat Spock. True. True. So that 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 makes it a lot more interesting, actually. Yeah, I mean the Vulcan culture is not perfect by any means of the stretch of the imagination. No more so than human culture. And I, I guess one of the, one of the things and that uh, that I think is uh, maybe actually one area that they improved on in the new movie is that uh, Sh- or Roddenberry insisted uh, throughout. Star Trek, 
when he was the executive producer, that the the human characters, the Starfleet characters especially, couldn't have any interpersonal conflicts. That they couldn't fight with each other or, you know, disagree vehemently and, and so on, which is, you know, patently ridiculous. In 300 years, people aren't going to suddenly stop having disagreements or personal conflicts. Yeah. Um, and really, uh, if you think about it, in the new movie, uh, that apparently has been stripped away. And that's one of the legacies that I, I if, if indeed it has, uh, that's one of the legacies that I'm glad to see go. I, I think it's a legacy that was abandoned actually long before the movie, quite frankly. Um, perhaps. Uh, although, um, if you look at it uh, in DS9... Uh, the major conflicts are not between the Starfleet characters, they're between characters who are, well, you know, like Starfleet and humans and other races and cultures. Well, I, I, th I think that was, that's true to an extent, but there's also, uh, I think it was there, it was just done much more subtly. Yeah, that may be. It, at certain times, obviously, it wasn't put out front and center very often. Yeah, that's probably, that may be true. One of the last scene where um, Spock is talking to McCoy and, you know, is uh, turning himself in and and going to turn command over to Scotty and then Kirk comes up behind him. You know, it is it is a little bit cheesy, but it's also uh, it's a good scene. It's it's a fun scene. It's one of the most memorable, I think, in the in the whole uh, in the whole series and especially Spock's immediate reaction when he sees that Kirk is alive. It's just, uh, I don't know. I always like that. Oh, I, I love that scene. Yeah. Yeah. For me, though, for Spock exclamations or ejaculations, it's second to the women! <laughs> or, or don't forget, must take the ship. That's true. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Those are, those are the, the trinity classics. of uh, Spock ejaculations. That, uh... Although, the women doesn't, or must take the ship doesn't count because it's under the influence of... Because he's under duress. It's a, it's a pancake speaking, Bruce Spock. Right. Okay, fine. He gets a Pan pass. Pan pancake Spock. Pancake. And, and Lee, I'm a little bit concerned about your uh, fascination with Spock's ejaculations. Uh, you seem to be fixated on them. Is there, um, <laughs> I don't know, something I don't want to know? No, no. It's, it's, it's a proper... It's Dick Spock. You know? Oh, okay. Haven't you All ever right. read that before? Like... What have you done? He ejaculated. Uh, well, true. I mean, uh, in terms of, uh, uh, you know, just a verb in and of itself, it's perfectly fine. But I mean, the common connotation of it, you know, is a little is a little bit different. So, um, you know, especially oh, know. given I, I'm... given the theme of this episode, uh, I know you you, you can you can understand my clever. perplexity. Yeah. Oh, okay. Perplexity. All right. Yeah. The episode the episode is extraordinarily bone centric. Bone centric. Oh, <laughs> okay. Bone centric. Or boner centric. Very bone much so. It's what drives the what? Like the, you, like this, the little bit of, of where. I mean, um, Spock, Spock is Spock is like you know the the sperm trying to reach the egg of Vulcan. Right, right. It's it's the thrust of the episode. Uh, exactly. <laughs> and the Enterprise is like a bad condom. I don't know what. Maybe Jeez. it's breaking. Maybe it's finally breaking down. If it didn't before. <laughs> See that I, I really love the scene, the little the little looks that are exchanged between Kirk Kirk and McCoy and Spock when uh, uh, T'Pring comes out, 
And it says, oh, this is to bring my wife, blah, blah, blah. And they're all just going, well. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, hey, she's pretty hot. <laughs> and you have to take the, Kirk will take the challenge because maybe he'll get a little bit at the end. <laughs> he, he's always sort of gaming that that possibility. That alternative. He's always, <laughs> he's always playing the odds. He doesn't believe in the no-win scenario. Yeah, especially in this one where he, he, he cheats again. <laughs> He doesn't believe the no-get-some scenario. That when getting some, interchangeable. Exactly. They'll reprogram that woman. That's right. Logic schmogic. I, I, I'm just looking at Memory Alpha Wiki here, and I, I see that part of the season, uh, Walter, Walter Koenig wore a wig. A Beatles wig. <sighs> Can I ask, was that the Beatles influence? Or? He was included, um, apparently, for two reasons, or added. To the cast. One is that reportedly Roddenberry got uh, some letter or something from a, a Russian or saw something in an article from the Soviet Union that said, you know, here they've got this show with um, people in space in the future and they don't show any Russians who were actually the first people in space. So he felt compelled to add a, a Russian character and then the you know, making him very young and with the, the Beatles-style haircut and everything, that was also supposed to uh, be a nod to or something that would uh, appeal to younger viewers, too. Also, you know, I know I'm kind of crossing the streams here, but, but you know, one of the things that I've wanted from Star Trek that I was kind of hoping with this last movie was there was going to be, like, a Muslim character. And there sort of was. It's like the guy, the captain of the first ship at the very beginning, he's a Pakistani actor. Oh yeah, but but he's given some name that doesn't particularly sound Muslimy, so I wish they would have. I wish he could have been like you know Captain Muhammad or something. It would have been really nice because. Oh, you know they would know, never have done that. I wish they would have. I, no, I, like, I I'm just saying I, like, I I I think that's pretty unrealistic to expect also, that in a movie like that. It's like a 99 percent of the Star Trek universe. It's like you know they don't exist. Except for I guess Doctor Bashir, isn't he? Yeah, he's yeah, um, sort of. What's the story? I don't remember, to be honest. I can't remember if he was, um, well, um, Sadiq Al-Fadil, who was uh, the actor. I'm trying to remember what nationality. It was. He was Middle Eastern. He's Middle Eastern. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember what variety, but. Um, and interestingly, I mentioned that I just uh, watched Mirror, Mirror, too. And uh, one of the bit characters in there is Mr. Singh, who is obviously Middle Eastern, probably Indian. So, I mean, there are the occasional nod to... Uh... Actually, yeah, I mean, that is that is one kind of a shortcoming, I suppose, of Star Trek, is that, I mean, there would obviously still be religion if it survived this long. Uh, it's not going anywhere no matter what technological advances we make. Um, well, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Uh... Well, the Klingons have it, so... No, don't you remember, Rob? There was that one DS9 <laughs> episode where uh, Worf said that... Uh, the Klingons killed all their gods. Oh, oops. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's clever. <laughs> Those are some pretty wussy gods. <laughs> yeah. Actually, uh, you know, of course they they uh, Roddenberry eliminated religion, but they they talk they apparently have Christmas parties. <laughs> yeah. Um. Actually, uh, not to get too far off subject, but if you read uh, three thousand one. Um, by Arthur C. Clarke. And Gentry Lee. Oh, no, no. That's right. 
No, it was just it was just him at that time. But, um, or is it or is that 2063? What was it? There was like a. There's 2001, 2010, 2061, and 3001. <laughs> Why does that sound all so absurd? 2074. 1522, do we have a 2087? Gentry Lee. So, so what did Arthur C. Clarke... I'm uh, sorry, hijack that one. No, 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 you'll just make fun of me. Okay. So? I mean, I mean, he did, he did like, you know invent the the satellite or something i mean so well he predicted i it. wouldn't count arthur c clark out i was just going to say that um he predicted that by you know the year 3000 that um religion will have been discredited and outmoded such that even uh you know talking about god or something like that gets you uh strange looks or gets you branded as uh a lunatic or something along those lines. Or or to take the Douglas Adams thing that God vanishes in a puff of logic. <laughs> <laughs> I like that better. Uh, that's yeah. classic. It'll be it'll be fun to see. Well, again, thanks for listening everybody and uh, as always if anybody besides us is listening to this and you have any comments or questions, uh, leave it on the comments and I think it would be fun if some listener out there left us a comment. And we'd respond to it on the next chat. Or I will leave comments anonymously. Maybe we all should, just to keep it interesting. Something. And we can guess who actually left them. But seriously, if you, if you have anything, we'd, we'd love to hear from you. And if you made it this far, congratulations. <laughs> and uh, thanks for listening, and good night. 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 <laughs>